DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by Andy Bailey, covers the Utah Jazz and the NBA for Bleacher Report. He joins the show once again. Andy, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Excellent. We are curious about many things you think about the start of this NBA season. Why don't we start with the Jazz? Three games in, are they who you thought they were? Should Jazz fans really be getting their hopes up? How different are they than the team that's finished, uh, has been a five or six seed four years in a row in the playoffs? What are you thinking? I think they look good. Um, That that seems like a really... (laughs) simple response, but I, I'm not sure there's a ton to learn about this team uh, anymore. There, there's a lot of continuity here, especially in comparison to a lot of other teams around the league. I, I think the addition of Favors is going to be very helpful, and he's he's in a much smaller role than he had when he was with Utah last. Um, but their big weakness last season was when Rudy Gobert was off the floor. Things just kind of fell apart. And theoretically, that shouldn't happen anymore. I mean, Derek Favors is not quite as impactful as Gobert, but he's certainly a lot more impactful than Tony Bradley and Ed Davis and, and sort of fill-in center here that, that played that role last season. And then I think if we're looking for another key difference, and he was on the team last season, um, but he certainly looks sharper to start this year than he did last year is Mike Conley. Um in fact, if, if you were going to you know, sort of power rank Jazz players through three games, he might be there at the top, um, you know, maybe right there with Rudy. So if he's locked in um, and he's kind of picked up where he left off when he was healthy last season, um, they have a chance to make some noise. Now, in the West, that always comes with the caveat that, you know, six or seven teams in the West have a chance to make some noise. I don't know if they've taken a huge step forward, but I, I think signs are encouraging. Um you know, they probably should have beaten OKC by more than they did last night, but I think that comes down to just missing shots that they're typically going to make, and I think they look pretty good. So when you talk about a huge step forward, you know, it remains to be seen. I get your premise right now and don't have any problem with that, and we'll find out when we get to the postseason. But as you look at the West, can you view any of those teams that are in that mix as taking a huge step forward from where they were last season? That's a good question. Um, you know, if I had to peg one team that I think is, you know, probably a lot better, it's the Phoenix Suns. Um, and I think that goes back a little bit to what they did last season. They, they obviously played inspired basketball in the bubble, and they finally had a chance to see extended minutes with Booker and Aiton and, and some other younger wings together. And then if you suddenly add Chris Paul to that mix, um, I think that's just another team that's in this. I, I don't even know how big the range is now. Maybe teams like two through eight or two through nine, something like that. There's not a lot of separation between those teams. And I think we can reasonably say that Phoenix is in that bunch now. Um, right there with Utah, Denver. Um, I think the Clippers maybe have taken a step back into that group. Um, so, so there's a team that is added to it and makes that group a little bit bigger. Um, so, yeah, if I... I think a lot of teams, despite you know a lot of player movement this this past off season, a lot of teams I think are similar to what they were last year. There was a lot of player movement, but it wasn't like the year before where stars moved. It was a lot of role player movement. Um, so I, I think a lot of teams made moves on the fringes, and it, you know we we have a long way to go before we see who who made the more significant moves. But if I had to pick one right now, I'd, I'd probably say Phoenix. 
So even with those significant moves, I got to admit, I have a hard time seeing them as one of the top six teams in the West. Is that just uh, because I've seen them flounder for a decade and I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm holding 2017 against them and I shouldn't? Or 2012? No, I, I think that's fair. Um, I, I think when you have languished for as long as the Suns have, I, I totally think that's fair. What, what encourages me about them, uh, you know, if I'm a Suns fan or, or just somebody who enjoys the league, is they already had a very good plus minus when when they had certain guys on the floor last year. Like I think when it was Rubio, Aiton, and Booker, they were something like plus eight per hundred possessions or plus seven, some, somewhere in their range, and that's solid. Um, and if you you take Rubio out and put Chris Paul in those minutes, um, theoretically that's an upgrade. And Rubio was great for them. Uh, he, he fit really, really well. But a lot of the things that he provided, Chris Paul provides those things and then some. So I think they should be better. I just I like the way those pieces fit. Booker is a top-tier scorer, and I, I think he took a real step forward last season. To me, he was always sort of an empty calories production guy for the years up to last season. And he finally, I think, started to leverage that towards winning. And then you've got, I, I think, a very talented big. I think people would perceive DeAndre Ayton differently if he was in a different draft class. The fact that he's in that same group with Luka Doncic and Trey Young, he, he's always going to be kind of forgotten guy from that group. Um, and then you've got a solid point guard, obviously, a future Hall of Famer and Chris Paul, and, and some really versatile wings in Bridges and Johnson. I just, I, I think the puzzle pieces there fit together nicely and again i i think i could give a glowing sort of projection for seven or eight teams in the west so even though i you know i like the way phoenix looks and i think they should be better this year they they could still conceivably finish ninth or tenth because there's just so many good teams in the west when you look at gobert signing and what it means for the next three or four years relative to the value that he's going to give them and the hit on the salary cap, what do you make of that decision? I, I thought it's exactly what Utah needed to do. Um, I think it was predictable the way a lot of people who don't pay close attention to the Jazz called it an overpay. Um, and I can see, you know, you look at that price tag and you look at his skill set in comparison to what the rest of the league does, and I, I think it's natural to think, wow, how, how are they paying Rudy Gobert that much money. Um, but if you're, if you're plugged into the jazz and you've seen what he's done for the last five or six years, um, it almost feels like a no brainer. They are just significantly better when he plays. And I think more importantly, just over the course of Donovan Mitchell's career, um, Utah is a minus when Mitchell plays without Gobert and they're a significant plus when, when they play together. Um, so even though we, we see a lot of centers who shoot threes, who pass, who handle the ball, um, and that's, that's certainly in vogue right now, there's, there is a place for Rudy Gobert in the league. I mean, he is a game-changing defensive player. Um, you know, I've long thought it, it's not quite to the same degree, but the way that, you know, James Harden is like a one-man offense, I think Rudy Gobert is a one-man defense. I think you could put him on just about any team in the league and compete for a top five to ten defense. Um, so that's huge. And then, you know, where he's continues to be underrated is on the offensive end. People say, well, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't shoot jumpers. He's got no post moves, but if you have a guy who uses nine or 10 possessions a game as efficiently as Gobert does, I mean, that, that is a huge boost to your offense. So I, I think it was a deal that Utah frankly had to do. 
Um, I still think that he works in today's NBA. I think Utah has some lineup possibilities that really unlock him. And I think long-term, if Donovan Mitchell is your one, he's your five, and you have shooters who can kind of switch on the perimeter on defense in between them, I, I think that's a recipe for a very, very good team. So is it a recipe for a championship team? Can they afford enough offense and shooters around him, given what he's going to do on defense and what he's going to provide when you free him up for those dunks on those pick and rolls and on the putbacks? Is there going to be enough there that plausibly they could put it all together? Because I think when people say they overpay him, I think for a lot of people, you're right, for the people who aren't plugged in close, they're just saying, well, they overpaid him. But for a lot of people, it's like, well, that's awesome, but they're not going to have enough money now to put a championship team around him. Well, I think that depends largely on so, so I what I think let me let me back up foundationally they have a team that's going to be in the playoffs every single year now and I think there's value in that by itself I think if you've got Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert on your team you're not going to miss the playoffs um, and I think they already have a bunch of role players who fit those two very well I mean last season the lineup of Mitchell O'Neal Ingles Bogdanovich and Gobert was very, very good, and I, I hope they get to that more. And I know I just said that Conley's been one of their best players so far this season, but I like when they can go a little bit bigger um, at those spots two through four. So I think they've got a great baseline. Um, to become legitimate, like I think they're going to win the title or a title favorite or, or, or even just a contender, I think that may depend more on Donovan Mitchell um, than Rudy Gobert, frankly, because – I, I think we've kind of seen Gobert's ceiling. I don't expect him to suddenly be like, you know, Jokic as a passer or Joel Embiid as a post player. Um, we've seen that he can dramatically impact a game as a defender and a rim roller, and I don't think there's going to be much more added to that. If Donovan Mitchell, on the other hand, goes from, you know, I, I would say he's probably in the top, you know, 25 to 30 range right now in terms of individual players. I still think he has the potential to be a top 10 to 15 guy. If he gets there, uh, I, I think this is a title contender. Um, a lot of people don't put Rudy Gobert in that group, but it, just in terms of impact, I, I think you can make an argument that he's there. And when you have two top 10 to 15 guys and a bunch of solid role players and, and good coaching, um, it's not the same formula as the Lakers, who have two top five players and, and can get you know solid players on the veteran minimum every single season. Um, but we've seen random years where the, the superstar in a big market model doesn't work. There's the 2011 Mavericks. There's the 2004 Pistons. Um, I, I think they've given themselves a good baseline, and if Mitchell can sort of hit some top-tier potential, they, they are a title contender. Yeah, too. Wouldn't the Jazz be able to get those veterans that you're talking about going forward because they know that they're going into it, they know what their role will be, they know what the money will be, and they know they're going to be on a playoff team, as you said? Yeah, I think they're more likely to do that than they were in the past, and I think we've seen evidence of that um, in the last few years. The Joe Johnson signing, even though he was only there for a year and he was at the tail end of his career, that that signaled some kind of a a shift to me, um, that a big-name player was willing to go to Utah, which wasn't always a desirable market because he saw that it was a winner, there's good coaching there, um, I think Donovan Mitchell is a dynamic personality who could attract some players as well, just just him personally. Um, so I, I think free agent recruiting is going to be different for this team than it was five, ten years ago. Um, they're, they're still going to have a hard time competing with the likes of the Lakers or the Heat. Um, there's just some built-in advantages that those teams have. 
the Lakers have their history, um, you know, the ocean, all, all kinds of stuff that players are drawn to. Um, but Utah is certainly more of a player in free agency than I think it was, you know, before the Quinn Snyder era. Yeah, I think the thing about paying Rudy is will role players want to pay with him, play with him? Because a lot of times you're going and you're thinking, well, that guy's getting paid, he's going to get the shots. And Rudy's getting paid, but what he's going to get is, you know, two layups and six dunks and probably yep. only 10 shots total. So there's still shots there, which gives you a chance to score, which means if you're young enough to leverage another deal, you got a chance to leverage another deal because you got a chance to score and to win. And I think that's the hand that they get to play in free agency that a lot of teams don't get to play. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And that's something that I've thought about with Gobert for years now. I, I look at him and I think that's a superstar that everyone should want to play with. I know that there was some grumbling last season about, you know, he wasn't getting enough touches and he's wide open under the rim and not getting the ball sometimes. Um, but generally speaking, if you're a role player or even a scorer around him, you're going to get way more offensive opportunities than you would alongside just about any other star in the league. I mean, like you said, it's just nine or ten possessions per game that he uses, and then he saves your rear end on the defensive end, possession after possession. Um, so we don't hear about him being an unselfish player very often because he's, you know he's not going to put up big assist numbers. That's just not his role. Um, within that system, nor should it be. But he really is an unselfish player. I mean, he does all the little things. I know that's a cliche, but he, you know, he sets screens. I know there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of weeping and wailing about the screen assist. A lot of people around the league say, let's stop talking about that. But that's impactful. Um, the way he plays defense is impactful. The way that he runs to the rim and draws defenders to the paint uh, is impactful. Even if he doesn't get the ball on all those rolls. Um, that gives an extra split second to the three-point shooters on the catch. Like Every little thing that he does makes a difference, and he's not using up a ton of possessions to do it. So you mentioned the ocean as a drawing card. How about the Great Salt Lake? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I, you guys would know better than me. Maybe, maybe you should put together some kind of uh, recruiting package that, that compares those two. Come to Utah, and I will take you to the Spiral Jetty. <laughs> No, I've been to the Spiral well, Jetty. I mean, That's not going to sell anybody. <laughs> Sorry. Take them to Zion National Park or some of the. Well, that's got a chance. That, you know, yeah, like Moab's yeah. got a chance, right? But not. There you go. Not the Great Salt Lake. You know, we will walk about a half mile off uh, Antelope <laughs> Island, and eventually we'll be in mud. No, it's not. It's sort of pretty to look at when you're flying into town. It is pretty to look at. Yes. Don't get too <laughs> no close question. to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So the standings are upside down right now. Which teams that are off to, which are supposed to be good and are off to terrible starts are actually going to be terrible? And which teams that are supposed to be bad and are off to good starts are, are actually going to be good? I mean, Cleveland and Orlando and Atlanta are 3-0. and And Toronto yeah. is 0-2. And the Jazz have lost playoff series to the Nuggets, the Warriors, and the Rockets the last four years, and they're combined two and six. So, which of this is early season flukes, and which is a sea change for one of these teams? Well, I'll start with what I think is an easy one. I think the Warriors are just going to be bad. Um, Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins are not going to perform this poorly for the entire season. I mean, some of the numbers on them are startling. I think Oubre's 0 for 17 from three. Um, and I, I actually think he hasn't made anything other than a dunk and maybe one layup, um, you know, of, of all of his field goals. He's he's just 
been awful. Andrew Wiggins hasn't been much better. Um, they're going to be better, but when I watch them play, it feels very much like the start of last season. Um, Stephen Curry is a guy who can you know, really raise the ceiling of a team, but I'm not sure he's like dominate every single possession and just will your team to win type of a superstar like maybe James Harden is or LeBron James. Um, and that supporting cast around him right now just looks really, really bad. And I'm already sort of imagining <laughs> them going after Cade Cunningham um, in this next draft. I, I just I don't see it with them beyond Stephen Curry. I think James Wiseman looks a little bit better than I thought he would, um, but he's a rookie, so I, I, I'm not sure he's going to be enough to he and Curry together to will them into that playing situation. So I think they may just be bad. Um, those teams at the top of the East are fascinating to me. I, I still think, you know, when, when the dust settles and everybody's kind of figured things out after the first couple of weeks, Orlando's probably going to settle back into, you know, being around 500 as they've been for years. Um, I think Atlanta will be better than they were last year. I mean, offensively, they've got so many weapons now with Trey Young and Gallinari and Bogdanovich. Um, they're going to be difficult to guard, but I think they'll come back down to earth a little bit too because, you know, as much offense as they have, there's almost no defense. Um, and then if I had to pick one team in that bunch that I think really comes back down to earth, it's probably the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, they haven't they haven't really played a murderer's row <laughs> to this point. Um, and, I, you know, they should be better. Colin Sexton's young. He's improvement, improving. Darius Garland is improving. Um, but I, I just I have a hard time seeing them. Main, they're certainly not going to maintain this level of play. I mean, they're, they're obviously not going to go undefeated. But I also think they'll probably come back down to earth to the point that they're sub-500, um, I don't know, probably two or three weeks from now. Um, you know, I think back to – I don't even know how long ago this was, but Michael Carter-Williams' rookie season with the process Sixers, and I think they even started 3-0. and and we get really excited about some of those crazy starts and then things normalize. And, and, and I think that's probably what will happen to a team like Cleveland. Well, Andy, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and uh, Happy New Year. Thanks, guys. Happy New Year to you, too.